Great, good morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Russell. I'm one of the elders in the life of Oceanside Church, and it's such a great privilege to be standing here with you this morning. It's quite an intimidating morning after having Tyron here last week, but thank goodness God doesn't use men. He, well, he uses men, but it's not because of men, right? It's because of him, and he speaks through us, and he used a donkey, so... No, that's a horse, eh? <laughs> uh, I was living a wonderful independent life. I was working, and this was just before the age of 30 years old. I was single. I was a bachelor. Or bachelor, put up, no, don't put up your hair. Oh, there we go. One. I was a bachelor. I had my own pad, my own spot. I was working for an engineering company. I was a computer programmer, a global engineering company. I did my own thing. I was living the life, man, I tell you, and totally independent. Um, And then I met a beautiful lady. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And something changed. Oh, by the way, did I say I could cook? So I really didn't need anything, right? (laughs) Most bachelors go, oh, yeah, there we go. That's the one thing we're missing. But then I met Lynn, and my life changed in an instant. And today I stand saying and giving all praise to God, saying that was one of the most amazing changes in my life. But at the time I was living independent, that seemed something that probably wasn't necessary in my life at that stage. I don't know about any of you, but have you noticed when at marriages, I've had the privilege of marrying a couple of folk, and as the pastor, you stand up at the front, and uh, the groom's all weak in the knees here at the front. I don't know if you've ever seen that, and then suddenly, da-da-da-da, and everybody stands, and the bride comes in, and I don't know how many of you have noticed the groom turn around, you know, and look, (laughs) just break out, and like... You all think it's just because she's so beautiful. I'm telling you, it's grief because he's losing his independence. Okay, that's the real reason. (laughs) Joking, okay? (laughs) But I want to take us on a little bit of a journey, I trust, this morning, because God has been challenging me. And I don't know if you've heard through Tyron last week, something that came through really strongly was he was talking about this intimate relationship that God is calling us into. And I want us to look at this morning of a journey of independence to intimacy. We're doing a four-part series, and hopefully this will lay the foundation for us looking at next week at the fruits of the Spirit, the following week, the gifts of the Spirit, and then wrapping those two things and bringing those together, because the core of our Christian faith is not religion, it's not doctrine, it's relationship. Intimacy is what we call the experience of really knowing and being known by another person. If you look at a dictionary definition, it says closely personal. And in Psalm 73 verse 28, there's this amazing scripture the psalmist writes and says, But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all his works. Make my God, it's good for my God to be near. It's good for me to be near my God. 
something of intimacy in those words, just that one line. And when we look at marriage, which Jesus used so often as a picture of his body, right? He used marriage because this, in terms of an institution, and I'm just calling that for the sake of it at the moment, it's not an institution of convenience. Being close and personal, which is really what marriage brings us into, is an experience, it's a journey, which brings out our weaknesses, our failures, and most of all, it demands trust. We use, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but we use in the context of the world spatial language to describe this experience of intimacy. Have you ever thought of this? Maybe you've used these terms before. Man, I feel really close to you right now. Close, spatial. That person over there knows me at a really deep level. Again, there's a spatial uh, connotation here. And sometimes if something happens with our relationship with somebody, we talk about, I'm feeling so distant from that person. But intimacy, church, this morning, and especially, and I want us to focus as much as we look at intimacy in our relational and our natural plan, I want to look at this relationship this morning. Intimacy, closely, being closely personal with Jesus, is not at a spatial level, but it's at a relational level. We all know what it's like, right, to be sitting right next to somebody that you feel very distant from true? Or very close to a person. I live here. My family's in South Africa. I feel very close to my family, but they are miles away. But if we don't understand the relational aspect of intimacy, when we go through circumstances that cause a spatial separation, perceived spatial separation from us and God, Circumstances will overwhelm us and intimacy goes out the window. So while there are many ingredients to intimacy, folk, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, intimate relationship has a definitive recipe, and that is this. It is trust. Trust is at the heart of intimacy. The more we trust someone, true, the closer we let them get to us. The degree to which trust is compromised in a relationship is the degree to which intimacy evaporates. And really, this is just a journey. And and the journey that I'm speaking on this morning, really talking about uh, independence to intimacy, is really us in our relationship with Christ moving from being closely, uh, sorry, vaguely acquainted to becoming closely personal with this God. It's a journey, and it should bring change. Intimacy is not apathetic. How many of you know that? If you're married here here this morning, you know that. Intimacy is not apathetic. I remember when I first got married to Glenn, I used to sit, I don't know if any of you have clicker pens, But one of the things I used to sit was just when I was writing or something, I'd be clicking my pen. It used to drive Glenn nuts, absolute nuts. And I was like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm," you know, I didn't even hear. And eventually it came to a head where I tell you what, 
uh, World War III broke out over a clicking of pen. But I realized that although it was a small little thing, I couldn't be apathetic <laughs> about bringing about change in my life because it was going to affect the intimacy of our relationship. And sometimes, folk, we forget this in our relationship with God because we trust God implicitly, most of us. That's not a barrier. We came into relationship off the base of faith and trust, but somehow we begin to become apathetic in our lives and we forget that our lives are called to be a process of change, to become more like Jesus. And there is a standard that's set because you see that it's not, not so much about knowing what the change is. It's more important knowing who the change is for. I want to say that again. It's not so important about knowing what the change is. It's more important about knowing who the change is for. Leviticus 11 verse 44 says this verse. It says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Consecrate, that's a big word, but all it means really is set apart. Set yourself apart. I don't know about you, but I get so tired sometimes, and excuse me if, if this offends anybody, but I, I get sick and tired of Facebook Christianity. You know what Facebook Christianity is, right? It's when we see these messages, oh, just send this to 10 of your friends and he will do this. Or... Pray, pray, you know, just love God or, or do this and he will do that. It's like this eternal slot machine. We've forgotten about the holy nature of God, church. We've forgotten that we serve a God that we need to be set apart for. How often do we feel that or, or represent Christ well in our lives by actually making the main thing the main thing? And it's not about me, it's about him. It's about our love relationship with him. At the center of our relationship with Jesus should be this. I no longer desire independence, but rather intimacy. And in other words, I no longer want what I want, but I want what you want me to become, Jesus. And you see, being closely personal or being intimate with Christ demands that we look at what Jesus wants for our lives. So what does a move from independence to intimacy look, look like? Well, James 4 verse 8 says this. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I, and I point my finger at me sometimes. I've been in this place, folk. I don't know about you, but I've become arrogant sometimes in my relationship with Christ. I sit there and I go, God, if only you were close to me. If only I felt you close. If only this, then, then my relationship with, with you would improve. And I'm saying, church, let's not be arrogant in our relationship with Christ. He did the work on the cross. In fact, on the cross, he said it is finished. <laughs> at that time, what did he do? He rent the curtain. He tore the curtain, giving us at that moment access into the presence of God. So if there's any reason why we are not feeling or, or, or in that intimate relationship with God, it's not because of him. It's because of me. And he puts it in order here in James 4 verse Verse 8, draw near to God, my responsibility first, and he will draw near to you. 
That's not because he's at ever distant from us. It's because we will always put up barriers to God's in intimacy with God if we don't make that step towards him. How do we do that? Well, the first thing is this word that some people go, <gasps> when we say it, submit. Submission. The verse before this verse, before draw near to God, James 4 verse 8, James 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I don't know about you, but the version of my, that scripture, my version is sometimes be live independently from God at your level of a comfort, assist the devil, and he won't flee from you. But seriously, folk, we laugh at that, but actually that's sometimes how we live our lives. Honestly. Submission is an amazing word. It comes from two Greek words, hupo, tasso. It means arrange yourself under. See, nobody can force you to submit. If I say to you, you need to submit to this leadership of this church, if you do that, it's not submission. That is not submission. Submission has to be an act of my will. It has to start with me. It has to be me arranging myself under. And when I think of submission with Christ to, to, to start this journey of independence to intimacy church, we have to be people that arrange ourselves under the lordship of Christ. We can't live this life standing one side of the fence and the other side, one foot on the one side and one foot on the other. God, I want you to do for me, but I don't want you to be in my life. And we can go through stages like that. And I want to say, folk, this is not a message only for unbelievers this morning. This is a message for us as believers. Folk, our, our, our destiny is to have an intimate relationship with Christ, but it's a journey and we have to embrace that. Second thing, life that is controlled by the Spirit, not by the sinful nature. Romans 8 verse 9 to 17 says, You are, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And then verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And it carries on to talk about you did not receive the spirit of slavery. But folk, verse 12, we are debtors not to the flesh, but, but to, to live according, not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die does not come naturally. This is what this verse is saying. Debtors, another translation, the NIV puts it and says, we have an obligation. We have an obligation to put to death that which breaks intimacy in our lives with Christ. It's not a passive word. It's an active word. We can't just say, well, I'll be apathetic about my relationship with Christ. We're on a journey, and if we just have a life that is controlled by the Spirit, which is what God wants for us, we cannot be apathetic about our responses when Christ speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, when he tells us to do things, when he, when he, when he requires change in our lives. 
It's our obligation to actually respond to his spirit. So, in this verse, verse 13, I wound up two amazing truths. I'll read it again. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In the Scripture is the who and the how of a life of intimacy with God. The who is you. We have a responsibility. You put to death. But you see, if we just stop there, if we just stop with the you... It's all just about works. But it says you, but if by the Spirit you put to death. So the how of a life of intimacy with Christ, church, I want to say this morning is by the Spirit. By the Spirit, we have the ability to be able to say, God, I need to change. I have an obligation to change. And I know that I've got to do that, but I can't do it in my own strength. You've got to do this. What are keys to that? What are keys to living by the Spirit? I believe it's these three things. Pursue, the first word. Pursue. What does that mean? I believe it means to stay in a place of worship and exaltation of Christ. So often we pursue things or we pursue what God can do for me. But actually I believe it's pursuing who He is that brings us into that intimate relationship. When I say, God, it's all about you. Worship, two words, worth-ship. Expressing the worth of an object. That's what it's about. Do I express the worth of my king in my relationship with him? Is that my highest priority? Second thing, communicate. I believe we call to church more than ever before, be people that fall in love with Jesus, but communicate with him. That doesn't mean ask, that means listen. That means be people that actually say, Father, I want you to speak into my life. I want to not be distracted by circumstances or situations, but God, my heart's desire is that I fall in love with you, and to do that, I need to hear you more. Third thing, cooperate. John 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. It's a cooperation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the third thing is this perseverance. I love the scripture. James 1 verse 2 to 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We lack because we do not persevere. We stay in places of independence because when the tough get, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And God has not called us to be tough, He's called us to be those that are weak. And when we are weak in ourselves, he is strong. Perseverance and wisdom go hand in hand, this verse says. And folk, I believe more than ever, just off the back of what Tyron shared last week as well, we have such an incredible journey ahead of us as a church. We know that God has incredible plans for us as a body. 
but the body contains people. The body is made up of you and me. And I believe God has got us on a journey of intimacy that starts and ends with some of these things. But if we don't persevere into the fullness of what Christ has for us, we will miss out on seeing the fullness of what he has in store for us. We have to persevere. And the fourth thing, we need to be teachable. Micah 4 verse 1 to 5 says this, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. As the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills, and people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. This was speaking about Jews and Gentiles, but also there's a prophetic implication here for us, church is that as we move out of this place of independence to this place of intimacy on this journey, we have to be teachable. We have to say, God, I want to learn and I want to understand your ways. I don't know, too many times I can look back in my life and I've done things my way because I haven't been teachable. And the amazing thing is this, folk, and I believe you would have testimonies the same as this, is that when you do it your way, God never leaves you, he never forsakes you, he still loves you. But the problem is, instead of walking three years or 40 days in the desert to reach the promised land, we end up with 40 years of going around when we needn't have. Teachable involves this, listen, respond with action, and walk changed. Teachable is not just hearing. Teachable is hearing, responding, and changing. And I believe that's what God's calling us into. But if we look at just these points as they are today, church, what we will end up doing is we'll put ourselves under law. Because I don't know if you... In your own self, and me in my own self can significantly change my life. I can't. I can attempt to submit. I can attempt to live a life that is controlled by the Spirit. I can attempt to persevere, and I can attempt to be teachable. But if I'm just living it as a legal requirement, that's all it will be is an attempt. You see, God hasn't called us to live as a legal requirement by doing the things. He's called us to move on this journey by grace and not by works. And grace is not a licentious grace I'm talking about. I'm talking about grace that demands change. In Matthew 5 verse 1, Jesus sits his disciples down and he begins to teach them. And then by the time he gets to Matthew 6 verse 33... He says this scripture, and it's the culmination of his talk for me. He says this in Matthew 6, verse 33, the well-known scripture, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, if we seek even just to do the things we know God is calling us, and that's our highest goal, we will get into law. How many times have you tried? How many times have I tried, right? To do things, we know, Paul said it, the things that I do, I don't want to do. And the things that I want to do, I don't do. Seek first the kingdom of God and seek first his righteousness. These two things, to me, 
have two incredible truths in here. Seek first the kingdom. This is a revelation of God's will, church. And seek first his righteousness is a revelation of God's way. It's important that we know that we're called to live in the kingdom. Because I don't know about you, but I live most of my life in a kingdom. What we are here on this earth experiencing, folk, is a kingdom outside of God. This is a kingdom, but the kingdom is all about the king. The kingdom is about loving Jesus, not loving what he does. The kingdom is about being close to the king so that I get to hear the king's secrets. The kingdom is a place where I desire to please the king. See, a kingdom is a natural, temporary, it's this world. But what we're talking about and what the scripture is talking about is a place of spiritual, eternal, and everlasting purpose in God. And it doesn't start once I die, it starts now. He is our very great reward. So when I'm thinking of the kingdom, I need to understand that this is a journey that God wants to take me on a revelation of his will. How much do I understand the will of God for my life? Well, I want to say one of the barriers to fully understanding is remaining independent of this amazing king that we serve. And I've been a believer since I was 11 years old. I've journeyed through different stages in my life. And at times I can pinpoint on a chart if I were able to do that. I know exactly the times where I tried to do my thing, my way, and I can actually see, and you can always see the fruit of that, and it's not fulfilling the purposes of God. But the scariest thing for me, church, is I can also live today where I am at, believing I'm in the kingdom, but holding on to things of independency in my life. And it will keep me at a place of comfort, but it won't keep me at a place of fully living in the revelation of God's will for my life. Second thing the Bible talks about is his righteousness. Another way of saying this is just in right standing before God. And, and this is the fact, this is the thing that I want to major on this morning most. is the fact that it is his righteousness that's important. It's not a righteousness that comes from me. Too often, we've derailed our lives or we've put our lives on hold because we felt the burden of having a righteousness which we are unable to have. Because <laughs> our righteousness is not our righteousness, it's his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. See, self-righteousness is just puffs up, it's proud, it's arrogant. But righteousness from God is revealed. Romans 1 verse 17 says, And we don't develop intimacy with Jesus, I believe, until we fully embrace an understanding of his righteousness poured out for us. And there's two aspects to righteousness this morning that I want to look at. The first one um, is how God sees us. The second one is how we and others see us. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me 
with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. I want to do a little illustration this morning just to help us. And this is, this is something that we may know as people, but I believe God is calling us into this place of a, a, a new revelation. Excuse me while I put this on. A new revelation of the understanding of how he, he views us. I don't have a robe, unfortunately. So you've got to just imagine this is a beautiful robe, right? <laughs> but when I got saved, and when you got saved, our king, the Bible tells us, arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. It's an amazing robe. If you understand what he did for us, it's, it's a robe that I never earned. It's a robe that I never deserved. It's a robe that I could never earn. I can't work, could never work for it. It's purely by his grace. And the Bible tells us that when he clothed us with this robe of righteousness, suddenly the Father looked differently at me. Isn't that an amazing thought, eh? So when you look at me now, if it was long enough and it covered every aspect, what would you see? You'd just see the robe. And when the Father looks at each one of us, church, what he sees is the robe of righteousness over us. He sees the blood of his Son that covers us. That's what's called imputed righteousness. Imputed, that word just means this, ascribed to someone by virtue of the quality in another. Isn't that amazing? Ascribe the virtue to someone in, because of the quality in another. So I am standing today before God, the Father, righteous because of the quality of righteousness in Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thought, eh? But the problem is we stay in a place away from intimacy because every time I look under here, what do I see? I see issues. I see things. I see the filth and I get embarrassed and I, I don't want to look at it. And when other people see me, sometimes they see what's under this, right? But you see, the beauty of righteousness is that God didn't only impute righteousness to us, He imparts righteousness into our lives. And that's the process of whereby the power of the Holy Spirit, this starts to work in to my life. And so suddenly these things, as I walk on this journey, rather than remaining independent, God calls me to, yes, look under here, but not try by works to change what I see. Because I can take one thing off, but there will still be others left. And this will come back if it's just a work thing. But I've got to say, God, I take these things off not because I, I deserve to, but because you've imparted righteous to me, righteousness to me. And it's through the finished work of the cross. And as we do that, we start to grow in intimacy with Christ. So church, I don't know about you, but I sometimes look and I close and I, 
I pray, God, do this. Please, Lord, change me. Help me to do this. And actually God's saying, no, no, no. You draw near to me and I draw near to me, you. You take off those things by the power of my son Jesus and the finished work of the cross, by his righteousness. And as you do, I am there. You see, this path to being closely personal starts with righteousness revealed in the gospel, and it's Jesus, the righteous son of God. As we begin to do what's right, we start to become a father pleaser. And as we choose to discard the patches, as we choose, it's a choice. It's a choice. We grow in intimacy. Because intimacy, folk, and this is the crux of this illustration, is not activated in our lives through action. It is activated in our lives through response. I respond to this incredible king and what he's done in my life. And that brings about action in my life. We can try all we like to do what we want to see happen in our lives. We can try the actions, but if it's not a response to our king and, and his incredible heart and love for us, we will remain unchanged. John 5, 1 John 5 verse 20 says, We know also that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son Jesus Christ. We might know him who is true. Know what? We'll know that the Father has plans for us. Know that the Father desires intimacy with us. Know that we cannot achieve it through works. Know that we have been given the ability to achieve it through His righteousness. Know that it's not out of an action, but it's out of a response, a heart of response. And when we come into that place, we can learn to journey deeper into the things of the Spirit. We need to throw off independence from Christ, church. And we need to put on intimacy with Christ. I want to just say to us as a church, I, a lot of what I've shared this morning might be stuff that you know, but like me, I don't know if you're the same, but sometimes the familiar becomes my existence. And I don't believe God's calling us to a walk of familiarity with him. I believe he's calling to us to a walk of intimacy with him. And it starts as we embrace, again, a revelation that this is a journey. And search, search our hearts. Say, God, help me to see where I've been independent of you. Help me to see where I've walked in that place of not desiring to fully see and fully walk in the purposes that you have for me because of my lack of an understanding of this journey of intimacy. And God, I want to be one that is known, just like David, a man after your own heart. I believe that was a a statement of intimacy spoken over him because of his heart of intimacy after God. I wonder if we can just stand for a moment, church. I wonder if the worship team can come forward. I felt when I was preparing for this message that God wanted to again reveal to us Not some great life lesson, not some great teaching, but he wanted to reveal to us the fact that 
our journey with Him starts with an understanding of the King and the kingdom, understanding of Jesus and the finished work of the cross, understanding that our righteousness is ours only because it's His righteousness, and it covers us. And this morning I felt while I was prepping that there were folk here this morning that you desire a greater level of intimacy with God. And folk, I want to say if it's not every one of our desires, I think we need to reevaluate and say, God, help me fully embrace what you're doing in my life. Because until I stand one day before the King of Kings, I have a journey that I have to go on. And it's a journey of intimacy with him. But I felt like some people may be here this morning and you've actually, that journey of intimacy for you has been a distant journey. You had experienced at one time this love relationship, this passion, this, this uh, I almost want to say resigned to the spirit where you said, Lord, your will, your way, not mine. And anything that you felt God saying change, you you were just, Lord, because of a response to who you are, I want to do that. But we grow in comfort and we grow in uh, even consistency can be bad if it's just consistency that brings us into a marginal level of relationship. And I feel like this morning God's saying, I'm not far. You've got to just draw near to me. And I want to make an opportunity for that. And, and the way we're going to do that, church, is is just to allow a time of, of response. And the response is a simple one. It's just saying, God, I want to draw near to you afresh. Because when we look at the Spirit of God and His ministry into our life, which we're going to be looking over the next week, if we don't get this thing right, we will want God's Spirit for the wrong reasons. Fill me, bless me, all these things. And God wants to do that. But folk, it doesn't start with that. That's not the reason why God sent His Spirit. He sent His Spirit to come alongside us, to lead us, and to guide us into all truth and righteousness. And that starts with me resigning myself to the fact that He's he's got so much more for me. And He's got so much more for this church. And He's got us on a mission. At church, we are a church on a mission. God has got plans to save people in this city. Do you believe that? God has plans to bring us into a place where people look at us and they don't see any good thing within us, but they see the person of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look at my life, I go, God, I don't know if I represent you well. And I know the way that that changes is as I draw close to him. Here he's there. He is there. And he brings me into that revelation of who he is. So I want to make a time just this morning, and we're going to worship. And the simple way I'm asking you to do this, if you're saying afresh this morning, God, I'm drawing near afresh. I'm going to say, come and join us in the front. And we're not going to pray for anybody this morning. This is a personal thing. This is a journey. This is a thing where I'm saying, God, no more independence. And not only no more independence, but Lord, yes to understanding that you've got this incredible journey of intimacy for me. And I embrace that this morning. It's not that I'm in a bad place, but folk, I want to stand up here this morning because I, unless I put feet to my face, 
And I'm not saying you have to come up here, but I'm just saying put feet to faith this morning. If your journey of faith is, God, I want to draw near to you, then draw near, draw near to him. So we're going to worship. And as we do, I'm just inviting you to come and stand up. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and just give us a fresh revelation of this intimate relationship that He has with us. I thank You, Father, that You are not a distant God. Thank You, Father, that You opened up the way through Your Son, Jesus, for us to come back into this intimate relationship with You. I thank You that You threw a robe of righteousness over us. Lord, so undeserving. We should have got death and punishment, but instead we've been given life and a relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. God, I humble myself this morning and I say, Lord, change me where I've been independent in certain areas. God, I want to be that person. I want to be in that relationship where I draw near to you because you are close. Father, I pray for each one of us here this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that passionately draw near to you. God, let us not stand in pride. Let us not stand saying, I'm fine. God, each one of us have a journey. And Lord, I know that you're calling us into a deep place, deep calls to deep. And so, Father, we respond this morning. You see our hearts. Won't you come and won't you fill us afresh with just this revelation of your love for us? Church, just worship the King this morning. If that's you, I invite you to come out. Come out, just de- declare to the King this morning, I'm drawing near to you, Lord. I'm drawing near to you. Thank you, Father. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Fix your eyes on Him, church. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Come.